as we kick off our Where God Leads sermon series, what better place to begin than the journey to which God calls Abraham and Sarah, and not just their physical travel, but a spiritual journey. Next week, you'll hear about Moses. The following week, you'll hear about Ruth and Naomi, and on and on. Let us pray. O oh Lord, open our eyes that we may see you. Open our ears that we may hear you. Open our hearts that we may feel you. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you here. Amen. Now, I would not want to be like Sarah when I'm old. It was hard enough being pregnant and having babies in my 20s. Imagine giving birth at age 90. Okay, man, that might not be readily imaginable for you at any age, but I guarantee you'd not want to be like Abraham when you're his age. In the previous chapter, Genesis 17, he had just been circumcised, along with all of the other men in his household at age 99. Ouch. Of course, I wouldn't know, but I hear it's pretty painful. However you look at it, at age 9 and 99, both Sarah and Abraham are in some serious physical and psychological pain in today's passage. 25 years ago today, God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that son would be given to them. Through this son, Abraham would become the father of all nations. But that was quite some time ago. In today's passage, it's just another scorching, hot, ordinary day in the Middle Eastern desert when three strangers happen to pass by his tent. And in the heat of the day, Abraham gets busy. He quickly goes to Sarah to have her bake flour cakes for them, and he prepares juicy steaks. Abraham offers wilderness hospitality, something very normal, and he seems busy living in the concreteness of here and now. But God breaks into this very normal, steady, busy reality of Abraham and Sarah to renew a vision of God's extraordinary world. God is about to do a new thing to an old couple who has settled into an ordinary life. Friends, we have no idea what God has in store for us, for our church, for our world. We have no idea how one day, one moment of serving strangers can change our lives. Some of us have settled for whatever life we think we must live for the sake of our children or to move up that corporate ladder or just busy living out our daily routines spectacular promises we had once held on to and outrageous dreams we dare to dream have long been buried in the everyday soil of our mundane reality. But this passage 
This passage challenges us that God is not done with us yet, no matter what stage of life we think we're in. God whispers into our ears, expect a new life. Expect the most unexpected. Be ready to be surprised by God who comes to us as strangers in your midst. Just as God is not done with Abraham and Sarah, God is not done with us yet. The promise of a child was 25 years ago. I think that's why she laughs, just as Abraham did in the previous chapter, because she knows how ridiculous it is that she'll become pregnant when she has reached menopause beyond the time of experiencing pleasure. We know this laugh well, don't we? The painfully incredulous laugh that denies extraordinary things can happen in our lives. The laugh that feels hollow in our guts because we have lost hope that God can actually change us or intervene in our lives for the better. The laugh that comes from thinking, of course, nothing is impossible for God, except when it comes to my life or my family, my children, my job, or my church. The laugh of cynicism, that laugh, the laugh that laughs at the absurdity of God's promises and goodness toward us because we cannot see beyond our ordinary reality of today or the challenges we face or the transitions happening in our lives right here, right now, in our concrete reality. We can't see beyond that personally and as a congregation. Friends, I'm here to tell you that our God is all about making the impossible into possible, ordinary into extraordinary. God is all about giving new life when we have given up on life. God is all about fulfilling God's promises in our lives when all we want to do is just settle. God is all about bringing joy into our lives when we've come to think that pain and disappointments are the order of the day. When you think, when you think you are done and you have settled, God sends friends and strangers alike to remind you that you are far from being done. So a year passes and Sarah finally has a baby. And guess what they name him? Anybody? Isaac. That's right, Isaac. And what does Isaac mean in Hebrew? It means laughter. Abraham and Sarah are both, had both laughed in disbelief. But Isaac is a sign that God is the one who has the last laugh. Abraham and Sarah's laughter of disbelief turns into laughter of pure joy and genuine gratitude. In Genesis 21, Sarah says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Joy came when Sarah finally saw what God has done. 
joy came when Sarah finally saw what God has done. You see, Isaac didn't have to be named Isaac. Laughter. He could have been named something much more serious like promise, fulfillment, covenant, or even circumcision. <laughs> but he was named laughter. There is joy in the promise. There is joy in the journey. There is joy in the Lord. Laughter, joy, is that part of your life? Is that part of your journey? We've all had a rough couple of years, individually, collectively, as a church. The global pandemic has taken us by storm. Our church is going through a transition, and maybe only God knows what is happening in your lives. In the midst of it all, is there joy in your life? John 15, 10 to 11 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. A few years ago, I was at a retreat reading this John passage and something unexpected happened. I just broke down crying, and it wasn't out of joy. The irony wasn't lost on me that I was shedding bitter tears as I read a passage on joy. I realized that I had been so focused on myself, my own hardships and pain in ministry and life that I had taken my eyes off of God and put them on me. Joy comes when I abide in God's love rather than on my own sufferings. For those of you who have been ordained and installed today, congratulations. I hope you hold on to these words from Jesus. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. May you turn your eyes on God rather than keep them on yourselves. May you always live in God's reality that's far deeper and wider than our own reality. Joy comes when you see what God is doing. But what is joy? In Douglas Abrams' book, The Book of Joy, the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu distinguishes joy from mere happiness in this way. Joy is much bigger than happiness. While happiness is often seen as being dependent on external circumstances, joy is not. For the late Archbishop, joy wasn't easy or superficial, but joy came through being burnished by the fire of adversity, oppression, and struggle. This joy is Archbishop Tutu's understanding of what animates our lives and what ultimately leads to a life of satisfaction and meaning. I love it that our Genesis passage ends with God saying to Sarah, oh yes, you did laugh, knowing 
what kind of laugh it was, an incredulous, cynical, bitter laugh of an old woman who had waited for too long for a miracle that wasn't happening. I love it that God doesn't say to Sarah, stop it. Don't laugh at my promise like, I, like it's not going to happen. How dare you? God doesn't say that. God looks at her, perhaps with a smile on his face and a twinkle in his eyes, and says, it's okay that this is where you are. But you also heard what you heard. Hold on to that and know you'll laugh again soon, and it'll be a different laugh altogether. I imagine how Sarah starts to see the bump in her belly and feels a new life inside of her for nine months. I imagine the incredible hope that grows inside of her. Go on, go on, Sarah, don't stop there. Go on to your Isaac, to your joy. Joy comes when you see what God is doing. I see Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and is crossing the Red Sea and sees the glimpse of hope that they will be finally free. Go on, go on, Moses. The journey is hard, but the Israelites taste the joy of entering the promised land. Joy comes when you see what God has done. I imagine Ruth and Naomi traveling back to Bethlehem after both of their husbands have died with the hope that things will get better. Go on, go on, Ruth and Naomi, go on to joy as Obed, the grandfather of King David, is born through Ruth. Joy comes when you see what God has done. I imagine Mary, how she sings the Magnificat with hope. Go on, go on to joy, Mary. Joy at the arrival of the Savior of the world who comes through you. Joy comes when you see what God has done. I imagine the disciples of Jesus downtrodden on Good Friday and even on Holy Saturday, but when they see the empty tomb, there's hope. Go on. Go on, disciples. Don't stop at the hope of the empty tomb. Go on to the joy of encountering the risen Lord. Joy comes when you see what God has done. Kirk in the Hills, God is about to do a new thing. God is not done with us yet, far from it. Just as God broke into the ordinary lives of Abraham and Sarah and breathed hope into their lives and led them all the way to joy, God is breathing hope into our lives and will lead us all the way to joy. Go on. Go on, Kirk in the Hills. Go on. Go on, all of you who may be laughing a cynical and bitter laugh right now. Don't stop there. Go all the way to joy that's waiting for us. Go all the way to encounter, encountering our resurrected Jesus. Joy comes when you see what God is doing today. There's new life growing inside of us. 
There's joy that's waiting to be made complete in you and me, joy that is burnished by the fire of adversity, oppression, and struggle, joy that Jesus and his disciples experienced in his resurrection after false accusations, suffering, and death. And that joy comes from taking eyes off of ourselves and turning them to Jesus. Wanted to end with the song that I love, and it goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May you turn your eyes upon Jesus and may your joy be complete. Amen.